Morant with a running start. Elevates. Oh, oh it does. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Tie game in overtime. Gasol will turn his heat. It's into it on the floor with Randolph. Hard to tell if there are any punches being thrown under there, but Griffin took exception to something. The officials break it up quickly. See, he just locked his arm and then kind of pulled him over. Zach falls down, and then, you know what? A little elbow there. Oh, he's digging the elbow. Yeah, you know. Welcome to Grits and Grinds, a Memphis Grizzlies podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Keith Parrish, and I'm happy to be joined right now by Peter Edmonston, a great Grizzlies mind. Peter Edmonston, how are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. So that that's one of the kindest introductions I've ever been given. So I'll appreciate it. Great Grizzlies mind. Yeah. Great mind in general, hopefully. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I, I know less about your non-Grizzlies opinions. I like to <laughs> I like to keep that a mystery. That's not for uh, me to pry that's probably, into. That's probably for the best for you and most people. So, uh, but yeah, suffice to say they're great. Yeah, we we haven't communicated much this year, I feel like. I, I miss seeing you. I didn't go to Memphis for a game for the first time in uh, at forever. I, I don't even know the last season where I, I didn't go to a single game. Um, obviously, there was big, bigger uh, global issues that might have affected that. But I want to know, I want to know, just based on this whole year for the Grizzlies, like what is what were like some big surprises for this year? And then like what were some of your big disappointments for this team? I know we're all in this positive, oh, the team's ahead of schedule. Well, whatever right we've, got, we've right. gotten that out of our system i now want to know like like what's something surprising which could have been positive and then something uh negative okay so you just want to just 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 dispense with the positivity right out of the gate we're just going straight well, negative I, you, is that you, what you, you want? can do either one all right what what was it what was the biggest <laughs> surprise for you in a good way it or sounded like, what, like you were saying like oh you know what screw all this this positivity stuff we've had it it's great blah, how blah, many blah, how many times whatever. can you yeah, say yeah, yeah. we're ahead of schedule i mean i like, i I agree with you. I agree with you. I, you know, I can be positive, Peter. I can be pessimistic, Peter. We, we, whichever, whichever role you want me to play. Um, no, I, I think, you know, let's, let's put all that to the side. We can get back to the, the good stuff, the surprise in a positive way. I think we've all focused on a lot of that stuff. So yeah, I'm with you. That's not, none of that is, is, is notable. Um, at least not, not for the purposes of what you're talking about. Um, on the, on the, on the negative side, I mean, I think, Obviously, the, the the biggest issue is is Justice Winslow's total lack of any contribution whatsoever. I mean, just just picking up DNP CDs, um, unable to even provide you know some kind of a defensive stopper role. Uh, there was so such you know lack of any kind of faith in his ability to stay out there offensively. Uh, really could have been useful in that Utah series to have a, a big wing stopper, switchable guy, and he just you know there there was the, the coaching staff had completely lost faith in his ability to stay out there. So uh, if you told somebody that back in you know, December, uh, that, that he would just be a, a totally healthy scratch uh, for key games down the stretch, that, that is, that is shocking um, in, in a bad way. So that, that to me, you, you, you can't, you can't go any further than that one, Keith, because that the domino effect from him not being able to play the whole series. Now you are just trying to figure out how do you, uh, put a bunch of square pegs and round holes defensively. You can't stop Utah. And, you know, down the line now, as they, they face this off season, it's a massive question about 
you know, how do you build this team? Do you have any faith whatsoever that he can actually perform? Are you just going to cut bait in this offseason and, and, and move on? The wing market and free agency is not great. Maybe you just kind of have to suck it up and, and, and deal with it. But that is a, a, a that this team, when they acquired Justice Winslow, did not think of him as just uh, nothing, you know, and a guy that was going to end up being salary filler for a trade or a, a non entity. He was a, a, a core piece and he has been uh, off. Yeah, they paid uh, Dion Waiters like $14 million last season uh, just for the right to, to yeah. <laughs> not play we'll Justice Winslow going down the stretch. That's interesting. I wonder if I've already like moved past mentally Justice Winslow where the disappointment of, of his season, and there's no other word for it. I mean, to only get 26 games again, and then when he played for him just to be awful. Uh, I mean, the, you could, if you wanted to, you could carve out like the positive things he did. There was a few games where like he played in some lineups where they were very connected defensively. It was like Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson and Justice Winslow. But we're, we're talking like dozens of minutes. You know, like, yeah, like you're, like you're really, you're really reaching for scraps. <laughs> there, there were, there were moments that. where I'm like, this is it. Like, I see this is it, but, yeah. but it was still, but the it offense, was, man, was so, but the offense, the offense was oh. so bad. I mean, we're talking historical levels of ineptitude for a guy that played yeah. as much as he did and had the usage rate that he did. You literally, you never saw guys right. this bad ever. Well, so, so uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you for me when I'm thinking about the biggest disappointment for this season though, maybe because I like, uh, maybe my my expectations for Justice Winslow were more of like medium. Like I hope it could be very good, but for me, a biggest, a bigger disappointment is probably just this lost season of Jaron Jackson jr. And maybe none of that's his fault, but I, I coming into the season yeah. was like, I'm hoping he could show some flashes that he showed in the bubble last year. Does he become like a 20 point per game score? Does he show a little bit more coordination under control and to not really get anything? I mean, to play 14 games and then the playoffs and you're like, Oh, I know less about, I feel like I know less about Jaron this season uh, than I did coming into this season. Like maybe I was wrong coming into the season, but now like that's a bigger question mark. And I think for me that edges out like a disappointment for the season, but maybe that's less uh, Jaron's fault. Well, you know, I think it just kind of depends on how you look at it. I mean, again, if you, had, if you came in with, with diminished expectations for Justice Winslow, then uh, it was probably terrible, but not like just catastrophic to see what happened to him. Um, the Jaron thing is interesting. I, I think I tend to look at Jaron on a longer curve. Um, and I, I think to be honest with you, Keith, I mean, I, I, none of us could ever know for sure how everything kind of played out. Um, but I think the, the team, I'm not, I'm not even really judging Jaron on this season because I, I think the team rightly or wrongly, uh, probably shrewdly in the end took this as a, uh, almost a lost season in and of their own selves. Like they, they, they looked at the, the amount of work, uh, the amount of strain, the amount of stress, the lack of rest, all those things that go into it and an injury prone Jaron. And they took a very long, very slow, uh, intentionally delayed process to get him back. So I think they set themselves up for that sort of failure and they set themselves up to, to, to be in this position. And they put Taylor Jenkins in a, in a, in a spot where he has to kind of figure out, you know, what are you going to do with him? I don't know why you start with him off the bench for a guy. I don't really understand that whole, but that's, that's a different discussion. But I think that's why I'm not really disappointed because I just don't think they set him up for success. I think, and I mean, again, none of us can know this, but it, but it wouldn't shock me if, you know, Zach Kleiman went and talked with uh, Jaron's reps and Jaron himself and said, look, man, we're going to, we're going to slow roll this thing. 
you know, we'll make it up to you. We're going to, we're going to, we'll take care of you on the extension. We'll take care of you down the stretch. We're not going to hold it against you, but you know, we just, we can't risk any more injuries and this season is going to be tough enough as it is. I, I, that's what I think happened. I mean, none of us can prove that, but I, I don't, I think they, they held Jaron back much like they did as a rookie, to be honest with you, he could have played people talk about people chalk up his, you know, 37 games or whatever was missed as a rookie. He could have played probably 20 to 25 of those. He was perfectly healthy. They were tanking. They didn't want to mess with him. They didn't want to, it was, it was a thigh bruise. Right, so right, I'm, not, yeah. I, I'm not convinced that the Jaron Jackson Jr. is quite as injury prone as everyone makes him out to be. Yeah, I thought maybe you were referring to uh, J.B. Bickerstaff's uh, preference to not well, play Jaron Jackson Jr. in the fourth quarter of games. That was well, the... that was that's that's a different discussion. Jay and his in his his preference to play him as a back to the basket old school uh, yeah. postman uh, that was also uh, problematic. So uh, that's a different. That those are all. There are some interesting discussions there. I'm I'm just talking about from a health standpoint. I think he. I, I don't know that he's as injury prone as, as people say. And then you look at like, I mean, I don't know, man, you, I think the Porzingis situation in Dallas has to kind of scare you a little bit in terms of yeah. Jaron and, yeah. and these unicorn quote unquote unicorn bigs that have all gotten significant injuries. James Wiseman, a young one that you throw him into the mix. Now uh, Porzingis has been so injury prone and he's terrible. Like he's the, he's the bad side of Jaron's development. Like if Jaron could turn into this Porzingis, if you're not careful, or he could turn into, uh, a healthy, uh, maybe 80% Anthony Davis, uh, if all works out. So I, I don't know, man, it's, uh, it's a, he, his, his future is going to really make the difference to, between whether the Grizzlies are an elite championship level team or whether they're just a pretty good first or second round team. Yeah, I agree with that completely. You mentioned the extension. What are your thoughts on whether or not this extension gets done? You thought maybe you're imagining a world where Kleiman's like, take it easy and we'll take care of you uh, with the extension this year. When, when I'm looking at the numbers of the extensions that have gotten done in the past couple of years, I started thinking like, I don't feel like there's any way if I'm Zach Kleiman or if I'm running the Grizzlies that I'm going to offer the kind of money that I assume Jaron would want. And then I look at it like the, the OG Ananobi deal last year, which was like four years, 72 million. Like there's no way Jaron in my mind agrees to that low of a number and so as a franchise, I'd be hesitant to pay him like four year, a hundred million or something bigger than that. Like, I'm not even thinking about max. So like, what, do, what are your thoughts on this Jaron extension? Yeah, I think there's, there's a few things to kind of factor into it. Number one, I, I, I think as much as people are thinking about and looking at his production level, I think that's not, not to say that doesn't matter, but you know, it, it's to me, that's not quite as major of a thing. I, 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 I'm, I think he's capable of producing at a pretty high level. You've seen him, Second year, especially where he had stretches of games where he was, you know, blocking shots, hitting threes, scoring the basketball, playing really good defense. I mean, he, you know what he's capable of. Just a matter of the faith that you have in the organization. Um, but to me, I look at it more of off the court stuff. I mean, number one, you're Memphis. We all know it's very difficult to acquire elite talent in Memphis in any other way through other than through the draft. I mean, you can make a trade and eventually maybe that, but that's very difficult to, to, to make happen. Um, you've got a guy that, that has as much pure talent as anybody on the team, including John Moran. I don't think you can mess around with him. Even if it's maybe going out on a limb a little bit, maybe you're, you're kind of putting some faith in him. I don't think you mess around with that level of talent. Second thing is he and John Moran are very close and you're trying to send a message to John Morant down the line, you've already seen the level of superstar he is. And 
you want to do everything you can to stave off all the rumor and whisper and discussion that happened with Anthony Davis, that happened with Giannis, that happened with everybody else. It's going to happen with Ja too. But you want to try to do your best to push that all away and create an environment that he feels comfortable and he knows that he's going to be taken care of. And if you take care of Jaron, that makes him feel uh, even that much better going forward. And then the, the third thing is he, you're, you're kicking the can down the road. I don't see an environment where he ends up getting less than four and 80, probably even if he has a mediocre season next year, mm-hmm. I mean, just because another team is going to take a run at him and is going to sign him to that offer sheet and, and his talent level, he's not going to fall off a cliff unless you think he's going to get hurt and, and not play when he's out there, somebody's going to give him. So we've seen some extensions of some guys that aren't as talented as Jared and they're, they're pretty, they're pretty hefty because of youth. And you're kind of rolling the dice on him. So for me, I'm, I'm trying to get him to a four and 85 for, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood, I think. And I think maybe Keith, you give back and maybe you, maybe you get a team option in that final year. Yeah. You know, maybe you turn that into a three-year deal. Maybe you can, and, and the Grizzlies have already structured contracts increasing, decreasing, and, you know, they have the uh, Tyus Jones deal, I think, that goes up, down, up, uh, which is a fun. So they, they, they have no problem structuring the salary to make sure they've got as much space as they need for whatever year they're looking for. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at it from a pragmatic pro approach and just from a team-building approach. I, I think you don't want to mess around too much with it. I would say do, I think it'd be better to try to get it done. I, I understand if they don't. I don't think it's a, you know, deal-breaker. It's not going to, you know, piss Jaron off to some crazy degree, but I, th- I think – I think it'd be nice to get it done. No, I agree. It would be nice to get it done if you get it in those parameters. I think four-year, $80 million, four-year. If it's the full Buddy Heald, a four-year, 86, that's like totally descending. Yeah, those are great. My thinking is, again, Jaron's camp would think he's more of a $100 million over four-year type guy, and that's where I'd be. I think it'd be really tough um, for the Grizzlies. But if they do want to maintain that locker room camaraderie, chemistry, uh, keep John Morant very happy, I almost am wondering, this team is so tight and they're so young does someone need to be sacrificed so uh, they go ahead and build up some of that emotional scarring of professional athletes? Like, you can't have the same <laughs> 12, 13 guys wow. together for three straight years because then when someone gets traded, like, what kind of emotional fallout are you going to have then? These guys haven't experienced this normal NBA roster turnover. Yeah, it's been it, – it's weird. They've got, you know, 14 guys in a contract right now going into next year, which is crazy. And, I mean, I don't think that, like, John Tate Porter's going to stick around. But, um, you know, you you yeah, you're going to see guys – I, I, I would just say um, I saw Jaron's Instagram the other day, you know, he and uh, Brandon Clark were chilling by the pool. Uh, Brandon Clark looking extra trippy with the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the dreads and the color, the, the coloration of the dreads and all that stuff, which I think that's my theory. That that's a second theory, Keith, but I do think that his trippiness and drippiness has uh, affected his performance. I think he's, uh, <laughs> you know, gotten a little bit too much of that. Sometimes that, that happens with players. Um, that's, that's a separate discussion. Uh, I think he, I don't know that Brandon Brandon Clark might be the guy that gets sacrificed. I mean that you know, his his oh painful his trajectory is is weird. Uh, you want to talk about another surprise? That's another negative surprise. Yeah, I, too. I was actually going to congratulate Oof. Brandon Clark on being left off our, our most disappointing uh, list. Brandon yeah. Clark's yeah, I mean, ten percentage point decrease in his field goal percentage. You don't see again, that. a guy that you just couldn't you couldn't play him in the postseason. He didn't play. He played like one little you know stretch, perfunctory stretch. That was it. For a guy that last year, you know, you had like, now, obviously some fans get a little crazy with some of these trade offers, but people are like, I don't know if I can include Brandon Clark right. in a no, Bradley no. Beal trade. No, he was untouchable. What? Yeah, he was untouchable. Huh? 
you, you can't win now. But so yeah, no, uh, but it is wild. He he closed. He basically closed all the games in the bubble last year. Yeah, and then yeah. this year in the playoffs, yeah. they're like, no, we're good. We don't. We don't need you. Well, to because you can't again. It, you know his his role, and, and this goes back to Jaron a little bit too. The positional situation with Jaron. I mean, get, playing Brandon and Jaron together means Jaron's a five, which you know you, that 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 can work. But you have to. It's under certain circumstances where it can work. He's not an out and out five just yet. They didn't seem too comfortable doing that. But playing Brandon Clark at the five is 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 definitely problematic uh, against a lot of these teams. Xavier Tillman was better in in that role. So again. You know, all of it kind of comes back to they've got the Grizzlies are in a really interesting position. I mean, they've got a lot of obvious talent for sure. A lot of young talent, a lot of interesting talent. But turning all that into a cohesive group, they've got a lot of redundancy too. they've yeah. got a lot of talent that's, you know, multiplied and not in the ways that you want. So how do you take two or three of those guys and turn them into a much better guy? You know my theory. I've had, you know you know my the, the dollar theory, right? The dollar theory of a team where you know you need to have lineups that add up to a dollar. Mm-hmm. And if you've got a bunch of dimes, those are great. Dimes are nice, useful players, but you can only have five of them on the court, and that's fifty cents. You need to have a fifty cent. You need to have a half dollar. You need to have a, a yeah. couple quarters. Yeah, yeah. You need to have some better. And turning dimes into quarters is pretty tricky. Yeah. No, I agree there. Let's uh let's do a couple. Let's real fast. Let's go for, over um maybe a positive surprise or something that you were very encouraged by for the Grizzlies. And then we'll wrap up the show going over this preseason Grizzlies uh, quiz where I had a bunch of media members fill out their predictions and we can see how, we're going to see how good everybody did. Well, so Peter, you finished, I mean, two years ago you finished last and I don't feel like enough people have appreciated that, but I, I, I tabulated the results right before we started this. You did not finish last. So, so so we'll, we'll get to that after a break, but uh, real quickly before we do that, thank God. What's uh, what was like an optimistic surprise or something for the Grizzlies this year that we discovered? You're like, Hey, that's pretty cool. I I didn't see that coming. I mean, I'm looking really big picture. There's lots of little things that I think are, that are, that are interesting, but the biggest picture thing is that John Moran is a legitimate superstar. And in the playoffs, I don't know. That's necessarily a surprise, but you saw in the postseason like, you know, going talking, including the, the play-in games and stuff, he was incredible. And, you know, there was – in the bubble, you saw what he did in the game against Portland. Um, you know, you knew his talent level was there, but there were a lot of games this season where he just kind of coasted or he'd have some moments and stretches where he wasn't really doing his thing. And uh, it just you weren't, you weren't maybe 100% sure what you had. And then you get to the postseason, and he cranks it up to an incredible level. Um, I, I thought that was game changing because it put him at a different stratosphere as far as I'm concerned uh, of stardom. You, you saw around the rest of the league, everyone taking notice of just what he's able to do uh, with his own offense. And that, that wasn't always the case you know, with Ja. You know, the, the, other, the other thing that, that, that stood out to me was um, you know, Dylan Brooks turning into uh, a very capable, like you could see Dylan Brooks being a third guy on a, championship level team like a third or fourth guy whereas before i don't think that that would have been the case but his ability to shave off some of the uh rougher edges of his offensive game uh to maybe knock off one or two bad shots per game uh up the level of intensity and the energy level that he brings was 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 unquestioned anyway so uh those two things i mean Mel- melton as well but but melton again that, that comes with the caveat of you know what do you do with him uh, from from this point, and it seemed like the coaching staff never quite bought in as much as the fans did 
in terms of what Melton was, was bringing to the table. Uh, Xavier Tillman was nice. Desmond Bain. Uh, I think those guys were good, but I'm looking big picture here, Keith, to me, Jaws emergence as an offensive threat in and of its own self and be and a guy that's capable of, of you know, dominating a playoff game yeah. on the road. Yeah. That's that's enormous for the franchise. Yeah, that that that's probably the, the most important, obviously, thing for the Grizzlies. I, I'm actually going to focus. I think my most surprising or, or the happiest thing I took away from this year was the rookies that Desmond Bain and Xavier mm-hmm. Tillman were competent, like good NBA players. Like just to get those guys where they got them in the draft and to be like, these guys are legit. Like they can play on playoff yeah. teams for their entire careers to pick that up so late in the draft like that for me is just so exciting like such an exciting move on the edges like if you just think of the Grizzlies roster like two years ago when you had uh, like uh, Bruno Caboclo and Marshawn Brooks and like Ivan Rab, these dudes were playing these guys like in your top 10 and to go ahead and draft guys like those would have been like these would have been like the fifth and sixth best players on the team just like right before yeah. uh, Jaw got here to get those guys in the draft. I feel like that's very encouraging. No, and it is. And, and, but, you know, there, there's also guys um, I would caution slightly because you had Sam Young playing, you know, key moments uh, for the Grizzlies early in, in, the, in the core four era. You had uh, Gravis Vasquez, you know, hitting big shots. So, you know, the question is much like the rest of the Grizzlies squad. Those guys are great. And I think Desmond Bain in, in particular is exciting because of his ability to shoot which, you know, the Grizzlies just have not had that guy. And he can play physical defense. He's got the little T-Rex arms. We know about that. But he's, he's able to use that, that, that muscular chest to get into dudes and, and get after them. How do you – but then now comes the tough part, Keith, which is, okay, can you get better? Yeah. Can you become part of the rotation? Brandon Clark last year was exciting as hell. This year he's, you know, sitting by the pool and, and, and absolutely fine. Hadn't played, uh, you know, seven minutes the whole playoffs. Like, it's just – I want to see what's next. It's great. It's terrific. They look great. You could trust them. They were, I mean, they're only like six or seven dudes that you really could trust by the end of the season for the Grizzlies. They were two of yeah. them. So great, but let's see what happens. You're, you're going to act like Grievous Vasquez didn't lead the NBA in assists one year. Come on. Um. I mean, I'm, I mean, <laughs> Grievous was the, I'll never, I'll still never forget that shot. No one will. I mean, that was, Oh my God, that was insane. He had a moment. He had a moment, yeah. man. You know, if you guys have a moment, he had a moment, and he was he was not bad. I'm not saying he was bad. He just, yeah. you know. Let's uh, let's take okay. let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back to go over this Grizzlies preseason quiz and see how everybody did. All right. So in the preseason, I sent lots of Grizzlies uh, writers, podcasters, and such a quiz uh, to see how well they did. Uh, 16 of them responded, the most important in Grizzlies media landscape. Uh, and like I asked, you know, do the Grizzlies win over or under 32 and a half games? They, they went over. Most people were optimistic. Uh, about two thirds of the folks picked over uh, 32 and a half wins. The next one, I said, how many combined points and assists will John Morant average? I said, more than 28 and a half combined points and assists. Peter, do you know what he got? I mean, I can, we can do this quiz right after the, right after the there, season right? is over. We can see if you get these quiz questions right. That's even more fun. Yeah. Now, he, he was under, so he averaged 19 points per game, uh, seven and a half assists per game. He, he averaged a total, a combined 20. Six and a half. So he, he missed it by two full. But that's not bad for you. But that's not bad for no. you though. To, to, to put a twenty-eight. That's a good number 
from a maybe an odds maker that should be your uh, your thing. You got to yeah. Generally, the writers were optimistic. The only people to get this correct uh, are guy Sean Coleman from Locked On Grizzlies, uh, Sharon Brown, and Isaac Simpson all took the under. The mm. the Jaron Jackson Jr. I said, how many combined points and rebounds would it be? Over twenty four combined points and rebounds. I was thinking 19 points per game, five rebounds per game. He can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Most people thought he would not do that. And no, in fact, he did not do that. Uh, Jaron only averaged 14 and a half points per game. We all know he only played 14 regular season games. Uh, His combined points totals was 20. This question was a very good one, I felt. I said, who will lead the Grizzlies in field goal attempts per game? Dylan Brooks, John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Jonas Valanciunas, or other, everyone answered either Ja or Dylan. Peter, do you know who led the Grizzlies in field goal attempts per game? Was it Ja? Dylan beat him out by two-tenths. So Dylan, in fact, did lead the Grizzlies in field goal attempts per game for the second consecutive season. Uh, Only six folks got that right of the respondents. This next question wasn't very good. Uh, Peter, because everyone got it right. I'm assuming if you don't say I got it right, that I uh, let's let's check out what you got here. Uh, you correctly yeah. picked over 32 and a half wins. Going back, to, you were Good. optimistic about John Morant, so you were wrong. You correctly wrong. picked uh, Jaron under 24 and a half combined points and rebounds. Good. You thought John Morant was going to lead the team in field goal attempts. Mm. Um, mm. I also mm. thought John Morant would lead the team in field goal attempts, but no, Dylan. Outpaced him once again. Uh, you can never underestimate Dylan's ability to take shots. So this question, I thought in the preseason was a good question. It might be interesting. It turns out it was not. I said, who ends up starting the <laughs> who ends up starting the most games for the Grizzlies? Grayson Allen, DeAnthony Melton, or Kyle Anderson? I thought it could have been any one of those guys. Like before the season, we didn't know what was going to happen uh, as the season yes. went along. Yeah. But right. almost everyone correctly said Kyle Anderson. Kyle Anderson started sixty nine games. Grayson Allen started thirty eight games. DeAnthony Melton started one game i mean you gotta it's a data accumulation season so let's Accumulate let's start melting one game and see how that goes and then they got what they needed we can add, we can add, we can add that to the file um isaac simpson was the only one brave enough to pick oh no isaac simpson and chris vernon both picked melton uh and john roser thought it was grayson allen but no everyone else who said kyle anderson was correct this next question peter it was fantastic and i'm very sad to say i got it wrong but it was so close, I felt like I should get credit for getting it right. I said, okay. which number will be higher? DeAnthony Melton's total points scored or Justice Winslow's total minutes played? Oh, wow. I said, yeah. Melton points, Yeah. Winslow minute played. Justice Winslow did win that one. 507 to 472. So it was very close. Justice wow. Winslow played 507 wow. minutes. I, I thought Melton was going to score more points. I thought maybe yeah. he would get yeah. more than 19 minutes per game. This, this, yeah. this third season of his career. I thought he might start more than one game. Uh, but yeah. Justice Winslow, that was split pr- pretty evenly. Uh, that was, well, and you know, that was, that ended up being a really good question for totally different reasons than you anticipated. Well, I mean, I, th- I, again, it was, are we trusting Justice Winslow to play games this year? Like, like who knows? Um, but then him getting the healthy uh, DMPs, I guess that was a, a bit of a twist. Mm. Uh, this one also very, very close. 
who will average, I ask, who will average more personal fouls per game? Will it be Dylan Brooks or Jaron Jackson Jr.? You, you, do you know the answer, Peter? I don't know per game now. <laughs> per no. game, Jaron beat him out. Uh, oh. Dylan led the entire NBA in total fouls for the second consecutive season. But on a per game basis, Jaron got 3.8. Dylan only fouled three and a half times per game. That's nothing. I mean, for him, for him that's, 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 a, yeah, that's a half. <laughs> that's a half. I mean, geez. Uh, and then we had, is this the season that Kyle Anderson finally averages over eight points per game because Kyle Anderson's career high in points per game coming into this year was 8.0. Most people were, they were optimistic and they were correct. Uh, Kyle Anderson smashed all kinds of career scoring records. Yeah. An unbelievable season from him. Uh, The only people who doubted Kyle Anderson, uh, Chris Vernon, John Roser, Joe Mullinax. Shame on you guys. Not believing Joe Mullinax. I mean, and, and the Grind City Media people. I thought they would have just automatically done positive. They would. I they, thought they would have. I think they knew it was a trick. I think they thought maybe I was trying to trick them. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I I didn't think. I thought it would be close. I just thought the organization would mandate that they just do all positives. Like I can't believe they don't record as something negative. That's well. Uh, I think the organization lets them do what they want. Although there were a couple of blank spots here where I feel like some people are like, I'm not supposed to pick uh, 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 the thing that feels like gambling. Uh, it's not. <laughs> Not okay. Uh, here's a, here's a, here's one that Joe Molinex is the only person to get correct. What? And I'm, and I'm actually disappointed uh, in myself because I feel like with the question, I asked the question so I could you know be the contrary, uh, do a little contrarianism. I asked, will the Grizzlies make an in-season trade? And Joe was the only person in the preseason to say no. The Grizzlies did not make a trade the entire season. A very quiet season for the Grizzlies in the... Oh, for sure they do some, just a little something. I mean, a little, you know, just to keep the, keep things warm. Keep well, to, and up, and to know? teach the young locker room, listen, you're expendable. Yeah. It's a business. This is not well, you're a Kumbaya you're family. Teach the young locker room. You're, you're, you're a, this is a Lion King situation here. Come on, man. That's, I hadn't thought of this until we were talking, but everyone keeps talking about how close this, close this locker room is. They're like, oh, Jonas Valanciunas is beloved. Uh, Dylan Brooks is the spiritual leader. And then you see like this team seems like they, they're all, I don't know. It's like, it's like summer camp. And so yeah, I, I started I, thinking I'm like, maybe I, I, get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, listen, Hey man, I, it's fine. I'm, I'm, I was like locker rooms that fight a little bit. I was like a little brawl here and there. I need, yeah. a, little, I need a little Blu-ray game that goes wrong. And Tony Allen needs to pop OJ Mayo. I'm fine with that. I, I like, I like a little, little, little spice in there. You can't get too, uh, too nice. So I, I I'm fine with that. I think I, I really I really do think that um, one or two of those guys, I mean, I'm not saying they don't, they do like each other, but I'm, I also think that no one is, is going to crush the heart of this locker room. If they're not there, I don't think anyone's just going to be devastated. I really don't. I, I, I hope you're right. And then the, the tiebreaker question I ask everyone in the event of a tie, uh, just guess the exact number of games that the Grizzlies would win. Um, I picked 33. But Peter, let's see what you picked. You picked... Yeah, you picked 36. That's pretty good. Okay. Okay. Uh, the yeah. only person to nail it was Chris Vernon. He guessed 38, got it exactly right. So will that tiebreaker be necessary for Chris Vernon? No. Chris Vernon finished last this year. Only got one <laughs> question correct. Congrats, congrats, Chris, on being this year's last place. We, I've been there, buddy. I've we actually there. had uh, seven people tied with 
Uh, six correct answers. We have Jessica Benson, Drew Hill, Parker Fleming, Sharon Brown, Sean Coleman, Joe Mullinax, and Evan Barnes all got six correct answers. The tiebreaker, by guessing 37 wins, very close to the 38 actual wins, was Jessica Benson. So she finished. She's the champ? As, she's the champion this year. Peter, you got four correct answers. So... Um, I mean, that's fine. That's, kind, of the, I, yeah. kind of the lower quadrant there. Yeah, a bit, a bit of a bottom third. I got five correct answers. Um, again, Keith, I'm out. just trying to finish last. Honestly, like, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not out here to, to, to do that again. I, 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 I dealt with that all off season. Yeah. Last two years ago, it was tough. It was just a lot of motivation. Went to the gym a lot. And that really, it really fueled me. I'm not going to be there again. Yeah. And that motivation is sometimes something you need. It's a concern I have with Dylan Brooks. Like would have been better for yeah. his last playoff game to go two for 15. Yeah. Like, does he yeah. need to coast yeah. into the offseason? Being like, guys, yeah. I'm actually really good. Like, I don't now, I, I thought maybe, you know, getting the new deal, maybe that would take a little bit of the fire away, but no, I don't think so. Oh, it, uh, well, the, uh, I mean, it, it did for a solid 12, 12 months. I mean, a, a literal calendar yeah. year after he got yeah. his new deal, he was pretty yeah, bad. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. But, but he, he whatever it was, he found it back again. Uh, the Balenciaga bags and the shades and all that stuff. He found a, he found a thing. He's got a thing now with, with this heat that I, I think, um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised uh, yeah. by Dylan Brooks. I did not expect to see it. And now he's a, he's a character. Like he's he actually, he's Look, getting booed yeah. with every touch that yeah. the Grizzlies. When was the last time the Grizzlies had a guy like that? That's great. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Calathis when he was playing home games. Um, early in his rookie year. Uh, anyway, Peter, let's get you out of here on what is your, what is your one off season goal for the Grizzlies or what's something you're, you, you've identified this off season. They need to accomplish this. Uh, the biggest thing for, for the Grizzlies is to identify their path forward. They have lots of different uh, ways of doing things. There's lots of different ways they could go, but Keith, the thing to me is figure out who you, the core is and how is it, What's your lineup that you want? Like, what, what are the, what are the, how are the, the guys that are going to best support John Moran? You know, you need the elements of shooting. You need another, you need some size on the wing because you're pretty small on the wing. Uh, you need to establish the interior. Uh, is, is Jonas Valanciunas just a good regular season center or can he be your center period full stop? They have to establish a plan going forward. They don't have to execute that plan entirely because they're not going to be able to. It's going to take multiple off seasons. But I think at this point now, they got to identify it because they got a lot of redundancy and they're going to have to start getting rid of some guys. And if they make the wrong moves there, that's going to set them up down the line for a, for a tougher stretch. So that to me is the absolute number one thing is who, how are you going to best support John Morant going forward? I agree wholeheartedly. How do these players serve John Morant? The end. That's, that's kind that's of it. The, yeah, I mean, that's what that's it is. It. Yeah. That's, that's it. At the yeah. end of the day, he's the best. So you got to, that's that. Welcome to the NBA. Well, thanks, Peter. I enjoyed having you on, and uh, I'll look forward to uh, talking Grizzlies with you sometime soon in the future. Keith, you know I love you, buddy. Thank you for uh, for spending a little time with me. I appreciate it.